Good morning, Seven Mile Road. Today is the sixth Sunday since we've been able to gather together. And I miss the conversations before and after the gathering. I miss the mayhem of all the kids running around. I miss hearing our voices in unison praising our great God and Savior. I miss the rhythms of the liturgy as we remember our sin and revel in God's grace. I miss the preaching of God's word and reflecting on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through communion. I miss all of it. And friends, what a joyous day it will be when we are able to gather together again. But until that day, let's continue to be fervent in prayer and anchored to God's word. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it would be an anchor to our soul. I pray that it would help us uh, remember um, who we are and that we're loved by you, we're seen by you, and we're heard by you. You have not forgotten us. And so God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that it would be an encouragement to us and that it would give us real uh, wisdom and truth for how to live in the days ahead. We love you and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, tomorrow is Patriots Day. And normally for Boston, that means the streets would be filled with runners and visitors from all over the world to participate in the Boston Marathon. But this year, like everything else, it's been postponed. And as I thought about our current situation in this COVID-19 pandemic, the social isolation, the stress, the uncertainty, the economic stagnation, the sickness, the death, the combined trauma of it all, the metaphor of a marathon is fitting. See, at the beginning, I wanted to treat this thing like a sprint, intense, fast, and over quickly. But we've all kind of settled into this reality that this isn't going away anytime soon. And so now it's necessary for us to adopt a marathon mindset. Think about a marathon. It's a long race, 26.2 miles. You can't just get up off the couch, never having run a mile and go run a marathon. You have to prepare and train in advance. You need a good strategy going into the race and you need to find your pace so that you don't burn out before the end. You have to have mental strength to break through that wall that inevitably comes when your brain is telling you you can't go any further. You need to know the, the terrain and the hard miles and the hard inclines. You need to know that Heartbreak Hill on mile 20 has crushed many in their pursuit of a blue jacket. And after all the strategy and the preparation and training, on the day of the race, marathon runners need three things. They need provision, they need a purpose, and they need a guiding principle to make it to the finish line. See, the body needs provision during the race of water and fuel to keep going. Marathon runners need a deep sense of purpose to make sense of the struggle as they have sacrificed money and time in their very own body to run the race. They need that deep sense of purpose to stay focused on the goal. And as they're running, they need a, a guiding principle of the, the, me the mechanics of running, of how they're going to actually run the race so that they make it to the finish line. And this marathon mindset provides a helpful metaphor for us and an outline for us as we look at our passage this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. Paul desires to run the race of life with courage and faithfulness and endurance. 
And his joy in life or death is fueled by the gospel. Friends, as we seek to faithfully endure this present moment, our marathon that is set before us, we need to see that in the gospel, God has given us abundant provision, a compelling purpose, and a guiding principle. So let's start together in verse 19. Look at the words of Paul. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Remember, Paul is on lockdown in a Roman prison for preaching the gospel. And he faces two outcomes. Either he's going to be released from prison and able to continue in his ministry, or he'll be executed. It's life or death. And yet, in either outcome, Paul has a confidence that says, no matter what happens in this present moment, it will turn out for my deliverance. Paul has this confidence because through the provision of prayer, and the help of the Holy Spirit, he knows this will turn out for his deliverance. Now let's unpack that verse together. First, Paul says that this situation, no matter how it resolves, whether it, it turns out to be life or death, will be his deliverance. Now at first, that might sound confusing to us because if he dies, how is that actually deliverance? Well, if we look at this word deliverance in the Greek, it's, it's the word for salvation. And this word can be used to refer to salvation that comes from a current situation of danger, or it can have an eternal perspective to it. So it could mean in one sense, referring to Paul's imprisonment, that he will be delivered out of this Roman imprisonment. Or it could refer to the ultimate sense, that the ultimate salvation that is to come, the ultimate sense of danger from sin and death and ultimate destruction. In this sense, it would, it would be referring to Paul's eternal salvation. And in this passage, I think Paul's using both senses of the word. That's why he can say, no matter how this turns out, whether I get out of prison and live, or if I'm executed and I die, it all turns out for my deliverance. What fuels his confident joy are these two provisions. He says, first, there's this provision of prayer. Paul knows that the saints in Philippi are praying for him, and he knows that God hears their prayers. As he considers how it is that, that God will work through his situation for his deliverance, he knows God is providing prayer from the saints. Now, these are prayers of supplication or provision. It's when we ask God to do something or we ask God for something. And of course, this is just one kind of prayer. In the Bible, we're taught to praise God in our prayers. We're taught to give thanks to God in our prayers. We're taught to confess sin in our prayers. We're taught to even just dialogue and talk to God in our prayers, just to name a few. But unbelievably and undeniably, we are encouraged in the scriptures to ask God to intervene in our lives and in the lives of those around us. In fact, in just a couple of chapters, Paul is going to explicitly teach this. Look at Philippians 4 uh, and verse 6. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
we are not discouraged to bring our request to God. Rather, we are encouraged to make our request known to God. See, prayer is not just thinking about someone or just sending out positive vibes into the cosmos. Prayer is talking to the living, personable uh, uh, God who is listening and responds to prayers. Friends, what that means is that our prayers are efficacious. That's just a big fancy word that means our prayer works. It actually does something. Now that doesn't mean, and it doesn't reduce God down to this cosmic vending machine where we put in the required amount of prayer tokens to simply get what we want out of God. But it does mean that God is actively listening to our prayers. One of the great tensions in the Bible is that God is sovereign in and through and over our prayers. God always works according to his will. And at the same time, God has ordained the means of prayer to accomplish his will. That's why Paul says that his deliverance comes through the prayers of the Philippians. That in God's sovereignty, he has ordained the deliverance of Paul, whether in life or death, Paul doesn't know, but however God is going to work out his will, he has desired that it would come through the prayers and supplication of the saints at Philippi. God works through our prayers to accomplish his will. Pastor Tim Keller puts it like this, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Remember, Paul earlier said that he knows that he who began a good work in him will see it to completion. God has begun a good work in Paul and God is faithful to see it through to the end. And one of God's means of bringing his good work to completion is through the prayers of the saints. Paul is fueled by this provision of prayer. But second, Paul also says that he's fueled by the provision of the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. Commentator J. Alec Mateer helpfully explains. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and he says, he is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ because his presence in us and his gracious work for us have been purchased by the saving work of Christ. What that means is that the Spirit has been given to us, provided for us by Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been generously given to all believers and he is present with us because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that the Spirit of God is present to help him. Now, what does the Spirit do in our lives? Well, the Spirit helps guide us as we think, believe, and live. The Spirit comforts us in our times of sorrow with a peace that surpasses all understanding. The Spirit is there to remind us of our adoption, that we are not estranged orphans, but we are beloved sons and daughters of God. The Spirit is present with us, enabling us to live lives of faithfulness. And Paul has a confident hope, rather even an eager expectation that he will endure this imprisonment, this trial, his present moment without shame, with full courage, because God is working through the prayers of his people and God himself is present with him by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Friends, that should give us great comfort and encouragement as we consider our current circumstance, as we consider the fact that God is abundantly providing for our needs right now. So take heart, be encouraged. You are being prayed for by your pastors. You are being prayed for by the body of Christ. We gather every Wednesday as, the, as, as, a, as a church family to hear from um, everyone and to pray for each other. Let's make Wednesday night prayer a priority so that we can hear the prayers of one another and like the church at Philippi, pray for the needs of the body. And remember that God is not just watching over you. He is, but he's also present with you, speaking, comforting, reminding, and leading us to live lives marked by faithfulness. God has not abandoned us. Rather, he has given us an abundant provision that we need to run this race with endurance. Now let's look at verse 22 to see the purpose we need to endure as well. Look what he says, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. In order to endure, in order to run this race with endurance, we need a compelling reason. This is the, the why behind the what of running. And it's a purpose that's centered on the glory of Jesus Christ. And that is what drives our feet forward. Paul states his purpose in life and death like this, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. And then he goes on to unpack what that means. He says, if I get released from prison, then living means that I can continue in my fruitful gospel ministry. And yet at the same time, if he is executed and dies, dying means he gets to be in the presence of Christ. D.A. Carson writes, in the context, to live as Christ surely means that for Paul, to keep on living here means ministry, Christ-centered ministry, Christ-empowered ministry, Christ's presence in his ministry. And to die is to bring that ministry to an end. But even so, there is only gain since the ministry is not an end in itself and it is now swallowed up in the glorious delight of the unshielded presence of the exalted Jesus himself. No matter what happens to Paul, continuing to live or dying, Paul says, I gain. No matter what happens, I gain. In life, he gains the joy of continuing to love and follow and serve Jesus. And in death, he gains the glorious delight of the unshielded presence of the risen and exalted Jesus. He even lets us in on his inner dialogue, his inner preference. He says, ultimately, my desire is to depart and be with Christ because that would be far better. If you think about Paul, at this point in his ministry, he has suffered many hardships, many trials. And he was ready for this present suffering of his life to be over and to be in the unmitigated presence of God. But at the same time, Paul so loves the church, and so desires for more and more people to come to faith, 
that he's willing to stay in this life and continue in gospel ministry, even if that means more suffering. Now look what he says in verse 24 to 26. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. For Paul, the only reason to stay and live is to see others grow in their walk with Christ. That's it. He doesn't want to stay for retirement. He doesn't want to travel the world. He doesn't want to do anything else except help others experience the joy that comes from knowing Christ. For him, to live means he'll bear more fruit and to see God's kingdom on earth come as it is in heaven. And to die is to see with unhindered eyes the face of Jesus Christ. And it's that purpose that allows Paul to look at his present moment, to look at his current situation and circumstances and say, no matter what happens to me with Christ, it is all gain. Friends, no matter what happens, no matter what we're facing, our present moment of uncertainty, the stress as we seek to endure through this global pandemic, or even the aftermath of what's to come as we try to rebuild. Whether we come out of this thing relatively unscathed or we come out of it in desperate need with unthinkable grief, Paul says no matter what it is gain. Can you honestly say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Seven Mile, this is the purpose that will put steel in your back and fuel in your tank to run the race of life with endurance. Ask marathon runners why they run. They'll, they'll tell you they, they, they run for a loved one or they started running to get in shape or they, they're running for the competition and the thrill and challenge of it all. But every runner runs with a sense of purpose. And our life is no different. We need a sense of purpose, a deep, compelling reason to drive our feet forward. What will you live for that's lasting and meaningful? What would you be willing to endure suffering and hardship to see it to the end? What hope will anchor your soul so that when you stand at death's door, you will say, let me depart so that I might go and see Jesus. So ask yourself, do you look at life and death this way? These are huge questions, the biggest questions of life, and they deserve our thoughtful answers. You owe it to yourself to find time this week to consider them. Go on a hike, get a journal and pen. However you process the biggest questions of life, do it this week. Can you honestly say, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain? So first we saw that God gives us an abundant provision to sustain and fuel us as we run. And now we've seen that not only does he give us the, the, the provision we need, but he gives us an eternal purpose to live for, a confidence in life and death. Now let's look at the last few verses to see this guiding principle as we run the race of life. Look at verse 27. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, I really like how the NIV does in capturing Paul's aim here. It says, 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter how this imprisonment turns out, no matter what happens in Philippi, no matter what, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, our conduct, the way we actually live our lives matters to God. Pandemic or not, we don't get a pass on considering how we live. Now, let me remind you of how the gospel works. We do not make ourselves worthy of the gospel. Jesus did not come as, the, uh, as our example and the pace setter, setting the standard of living that we have to achieve in order to gain the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. No, the gospel is the good news that Jesus lived that life for us. He achieved every merit we could ever need. In fact, his life and death and resurrection accomplished our victory. Friends, we are running a race that we've already won because Jesus ran the race for us. So if you are in Christ right now, these things are true about you. You are an adopted and beloved son and daughter of God. You have already been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You have already received the Holy Spirit as a down payment, a guarantee of the promised inheritance that is to come. And right now, you are set on a trajectory to live in the glory and life of the new heavens and the new earth. That is already true of you right now. You don't have to achieve it. It's already been accomplished for you. To live in a manner worthy of the gospel doesn't mean you try harder to earn your place. It does mean we live in such a way that recognizes that it has been done for us. Listen to how D.A. Carson puts it. To conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, therefore, does not suggest that we should try harder in order to secure something, but argues that because something has already been secured for us, we should try harder out of gratitude and out of a frank recognition that this is what the gospel has saved us for. We are to be diligent to live up to the good news that we have received, the good news that has saved us. What is he saying? We're to be grateful for what Jesus has done. And therefore, we're supposed to be diligent to live out the grace that we've already received. And then Paul goes on and he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, as the body of Christ, live with a unified spirit and mind as you strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, what does that mean? When Paul speaks about the spirit and the mind, he's talking about the inner core of who we are. 
This is the place of our affections and desires. This is the heart and the soul. This is where we make evaluations about what's important. This is where we make decisions about what we're going to do in our life. It's that place where the emotions, ambitions, and decisions come together as we live in the everyday stuff of life. What he's saying is our inner life needs to be centered on the gospel so that as we strive side by side in the body of Christ, we're living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Friends, our inner life and our outer life need to be in alignment. In other words, when our inner life is centered on the gospel, our conduct will be too. So persecution and trial, suffering and hardship, these are not excuses to go off track. Paul is saying that God has granted to you life and belief in the gospel. And at the same time, he's also granted to us the endurance we need to not only live out the ordinary days of life, but also the extraordinary days of suffering. God has given us all that we need to live in the easy days and in the hard days. And this is the guiding principle of a faithful life, a determination to have a consistency between our inner life and our outer life. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack all that this inner life is all about and what the outer life is supposed to look like as we move through the rest of Paul's letter. Remember, we're still in chapter one. This is the beginning of his letter. But for right now, Paul is establishing a guiding principle, a framework that we will have a determination to run our life with this guiding principle that our inner life and our outer life will be aligned to the gospel. You can think about this whole passage as Paul's speech as a running coach. He's saying, runners, no matter what you face today, remember, the race has already been run. You have every provision of God, the prayers of the saints, and the supply of the Holy Spirit. And with that, you have everything you need to run. You also have a compelling purpose as you run. In life or death, no matter what happens, you will gain Christ. So run. Run your race with integrity. Run your race with endurance. Run your race side by side with your brothers and sisters in the faith. And live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel and victory, knowing that Christ has already run it and secured our victory, our victory to the finish line. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have abundantly given us everything we need. Through the prayers of the saints, we, your purposes will be accomplished. And you've given us the supply and the provision of the Holy Spirit, guiding us, directing us, comforting us in these hard days. And God, you've also given us a compelling reason to gain Christ. So if we live today, fruitful ministry is at hand. And if we die, we depart to be in the unmitigated presence of Christ. And you've given us this principle as we run to have an inner life aligned to the gospel and an outer life aligned to the gospel so that with that consistency, we can run our race in great faithfulness. Father, help us as we do it. We love you and trust you for this. In Christ's name we pray.